0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Rob Connebeer. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Conneybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. If you're listening right now and you have any comments or questions during the show, give us a call here in the studio. Our number is 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Well, I'm thrilled to welcome my next guest, Andy Price. Andy, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rob. So Andy Price is possibly the world's most interesting man. If you were to see him here in the studio (laughs) right now, he looks just like the Dos spokesman. And it's probably appropriate that he's been recruiting technology executives for 25 years. He spent 15 years building the leading executive search firm in California, closes around 300 searches every year in technology. And now Andy is founder of his own executive search firm, taking a new strategy. It's called Artisanal Talent Group, where he helps portfolio companies address their senior executive needs, board hiring needs. He's easily one of the best-connected executive recruiters in the business. If you were to think about technology executive recruiters the same way you think about sports agents, you would know who Andy Price is. So, Andy, how did
1: you end up in the recruiting business? Yeah, I had a personal connection. Coming out of college, the guy said, hey, you should come work for me, and I'll just teach you how to do this. I'll retire and you'll have a great career. You're kind of a um, weird mixture of skills. I was a bit, bit technical, programmed in two languages, was super curious, journalism major, Loved to interview people, super, super interested in understanding new technologies and people and what drives them and you know, love human beings and interacting with them. And did you say you were a programmer? Yeah, was, programming in per- languages. The number one worst programmer in the Western Hemisphere, yeah, number one, which is why I became a recruiter. So is there a family connection at all yeah. to this? Yeah, there was, yeah. The first the first guy was my father-in-law, as it turns out, and then he retired, and I ended up working with one of my best friends from um, college, this guy Dave Malarkey. We took over another firm called Schweikler Associates, rebranded the company, took it from like three or four people to 60 people in a $30 million business, number one in Cali. So you say something there like we just went from two people to 60 people or
0: from a small group to a large group. What's involved with scaling an executive search firm? You it, know, it maybe for people that aren't familiar with executive yeah. search. What is executive search?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's an interesting question. I think it's a loaded question, frankly. But I'll try to be brief in my description of the industry. It's a professional services kind of business that looks a lot like a law firm or an a- accounting firm. And the whole business is about – it's theoretically about taking on a project the way an attorney would. If you're getting divorced, if you're selling a company, you hire an attorney, you retain somebody to solve a problem. You theoretically retain a recruiting firm to solve a hiring problem. The problem is, is that when you really get into the business, and we were, you know, we're making a lot of money, we're having a lot of fun. It was really neat to hire people, it was neat to be number one. And we got a lot of accolades, a lot of external, you know, press and different rewards and what have you, and different awards and what have you. But I looked at the business clinically always because I kept comparing it to my clients, thinking I'd rather be running their companies than my company, and. Um, I just realized that scaling a professional services business is kind of a lousy business at the end of the day because what you do is you add capacity ahead of demand constantly. So you're on this treadmill of adding people and then you fill up the demand and it becomes sort of a a funnel and demand oriented, you know, sales type of business and you get away from the real business which uh, you know, frankly speaking, I think is about investing in your clients. And and I think that that is the really interesting business. So It's not like search people should be venture capitalists, but what they do is they have an unfair front seat advantage into studying their clients. And if they have that, then why wouldn't they concentrate wealth on their best clients? That's a way more interesting business than paying the taxes on professional services fees and signing
0: leases. So you were talking about solving problems for clients. So that means, for example, you could have a technology company of a certain size That needs to hire a head of marketing or needs a new CEO or needs to fill a hiring role. How does that process typically work? Because I think for people that serve on boards or venture capitalists, people have a pretty good idea what that process looks like. But for people in the technology industry that haven't done that, what 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 goes on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. How I does think, that whole
0: process work?
1: Well it's kinda of like the Wizard of Oz where there's like this possible little midget behind a big green curtain and no one really knows what that guy's doing. And that's similar to how the clients think of the executive search industry. Were you the midget? I was definitely the midget. And you can see I'm not a very big man. <laughs> but in all seriousness, see, I think there's a lot of mystery to how the sausage-making of an executive search process works. And every single human being in the executive search industry has a unique way of going about the project. I think what um, is lacking in the industry is, is, a, is a formulaic approach that they can believe in. So when you hire other firms you, in a different – Walks of life, you know, different accounting, for example, you know what you're gonna get. You, they're gonna churn a bunch of information, they're gonna charge you hourly or by project scope or whatever. And you know what's behind the curtain, so to speak. In a search business, you don't know how they're gonna go out and inventory who you should look for. And I think the the biggest gap in the industry is always about why are we looking for this person? What's really happening with this company? What are the real true goals and objectives? How do we measure those? And then Score someone against those metrics, those those that needed. Yeah, and hire. I, I kind of mean stepping back even further from that. So from a client perspective, you have a
0: weekly call. Yeah, you kind of agree on what are we looking for, who are the people yeah, the that basics. we'd like to see. Yeah, what is that process like, and then maybe go into the sausage baking.
1: Well, I think that the um, people jump into these processes and they start getting these weekly calls without actually asking really hard questions before they start the weekly calls of. Are you sure this is what you want, or were you given bad advice before you called me? Oh, do you even need a VP of marketing? Yeah, exactly. Like I've I've said no to probably millions of dollars of business over my career, many millions of dollars of business, because I thought, hey, you don't really need this person. You're getting bad advice. You're too early. You're not willing to pay this person. The organization is misaligned. So I think the the best search people… Upstream of this process you're describing, where you're getting these weekly calls and you're trying to riff, basically, because they're they're basically jam sessions, if you will, where you're like, oh, I like this person, don't like that person. What? Why? Why didn't you like this person? Why did you like that person? Trying to do pattern recognition and calibrate constantly. But the real issue is like, is upstream. It's the scoping of the role against what the company's objectives are. That is the number one thing people should obsess about. Getting that piece right is is everything in my mind because you fall on someone in the end that solve that pain you know search should be a pain killing exercise my company has pain i can't deliver product i can't sell the product i don't know why i can't sell the product cost me too much money to sell the product the marketing isn't right i don't have the funnel metrics together you know uh, we're positioned wrong um, we don't have our financing together there could be all kinds of myriad issues that lead to a perception of a need to hire an executive you know we could go The second half of this hour and talk about why people should avoid executive searches half the time (laughs) and just cultivate their bench. But I digress. I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that the process works the best when you really, really ask hard questions. The search people are are vested. They have a vested interest in the outcome to the point where they're curious enough to ask the hard questions that lead to the right spec. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: and I think one of the things people may not be as familiar with is the basic process. The basic business model is a fee for a service, and right. you were talking a little bit about it when you say accountants or lawyers, et cetera, but to break it down, it would be if I wanted to hire a VP of marketing or a CEO, mm-hmm. it's a fee for service, so it might be on the neighborhood of like eighty dollars to $100,000, yep. depending on the quality of the firm, et cetera. It gets billed in three installments, and- Then people see a slate of candidates, and then to a certain extent, it's almost like, ai don't know if a marriage counselor is the right thing, but when you get down to the candidates that you're really excited about as a startup and you start to make offers, then you give guidance because just like an agent on a house, you want the house to get sold, yes, and you want the person to join, and you play a role – where you're really helping it come together in a way that's adding value for everybody.
1: Yeah, totally. But what you want, I'm, you, I'm talking yeah. about when it works.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And,
1: and when it works is when you care, when the search people care enough about the outcome that they, they don't want to just close someone. They want to close the right person that they're highly confident is going to make a big impact on the company. Right. And I think now it's, it's getting really interesting. You, you see a lot of business model innovation, as you know, and the companies that are really making it are companies that are, they're that just really efficient at distribution. It's not about like, hey, I built a really interesting ASIC or a widget like you and I grew up in, you know, 80,000 years ago in the semiconductor industry and telecom equipment, and we're all connecting people to the Internet. And it was a lot of physics and a lot of optical transmission of this or that. And, you know, it was a technical challenge. Now you have fewer technical challenges out there other than in the frontier categories like quantum computing and what have you, you know, autonomous and what have you. And it's much more these days the mainstream investing categories, as you know, are about software and distribution and distribution efficiency. And so – you have to take a more clinical approach to scoping out what does a marketing executive look like in the context of the business model you're trying to scale right and that's a very that's an interesting discussion that's very company specific if you don't have those conversations in the front end it doesn't matter how fall how much you fall in love with a candidate the worst thing that i see in search is that entrepreneurs fall in love with candidates for the wrong reasons and you've got to talk them out of I mean, one of the reasons I started this new company is because, A, I figured out I wasn't going to be a great venture capitalist. I got bored with my last company, went into venture capital, learned some new tricks, decided that this new firm was going to be much more about being really high touch with a number of much smaller number of clients than I was typically used to working with. Because I was super curious about if you can go much deeper with the client, understand what they're trying to do, deliver a really, really interesting impact, high impact executive, The returns on the company would be more interesting. And then if we could get a chance to invest in the company, we'd all win. What does high touch mean? High touch means you really obsess about a company. I mean you're not just taking a client and saying, I'm going to charge you some money. I'm going to go spin up some people, hustle a bunch of executives and get them to talk to you and try to hire one. It's all about I'm going to study you, figure out how I can – Understand the business. Truly understand the business. Who are the competitors? What's the product? What are your critical path failure, points of failure? What are the internal dynamics going on with the board dynamics where your VCs want of this thing? Like what are what are the internal pressures you're dealing with? You really have to spend a ton of time with the entrepreneurs to get in their heads to truly understand the things that they're not going to tell you unless you know what to ask. Is that awkward for entrepreneurs sometimes in round 1 yeah it's all about building trust because you have to be willing to do that first meeting build that trust the second meeting build trust they have to see that you genuinely care about the outcome of the company before they open up and when they open up they really open up cuz often they say
0: hey we just want you to go hire this exactly. person here's the spec Go find the people. Exactly. Why? Why am I talking to you about our product? Because why am I talking to exactly. you about our competition? Because
1: they're used to hearing all about how bad recruiting is as an experience, and that's the problem. They hear, and so they just go, "Ah, eh, here's a recruiter. I'm just going to tell them the basic. I'm going to have them go run around see what they can do. And meanwhile, I'll work my own network. My VCs will throw some candidates at me, and we'll see what happens. If the recruiter can do better than my own VC network, which is kind of a toss up lately, and um, and I think that. The entrepreneurs that detect that you actually have a meaningful and very deep interest in their big success, not just incremental but big success and big outcome, that's when their eyes light up and they reveal what the real issues are. And if you get that insight, you go, okay, here are the internal issues and let's look at the external issues and you start thinking about, hey, why is Atlassian trading at like 18 times sales? Like do we want to replicate Atlassian? Do we want to replicate Twilio? Do we want to be DocuSign? Who do we want to be when we grow up? And you start studying the comparables and the peer groups and the business models that you want to replicate that are appropriate for your business. And that becomes a very interesting conversation. Then you can do highly targeted recruiting. You can call 10 people and end up with a perfect candidate versus calling 300 people, spraying and praying. That's to me where the search industry needs to go.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that especially early entrepreneurs don't understand is how much you also have to sell leading candidates. Exactly. Because the best people to bring
1: into these roles have lots of options. Exactly. So they need to get fired up about what you're doing. That's exactly right. The high-touch approach needs to extend to the candidate population where they don't feel like they're being treated like a bunch of veal, like a bunch of cattle, herded around and prodded into a process where people are kind of low-touch. They're done spraying spray and pray fly-by meetings and interviews that aren't really meaningful. And I think the people that detect that you're taking a high degree of interest in them for a specific reason, why did you call me? How do you in mind you're a very highly targeted person, a high-value target for me? And why? And that's a really interesting dynamic with, um, with, I think, good search processes. And we're not the only ones that do this, by the way. There are other great search firms out there that, that take this approach with the candidates where you do a big bear hug. And, you know, you're going to get a lot more return on your time investment if you bear hug the best people than fly by with 20. Right, so you built Schweikler or SPMB not by myself
0: with a group of people yeah. and scaled it, and then you went over to venture
1: capital. What led to What's artisanal? Just, so I, you know, I I just developed an obsession about helping entrepreneurs because I am one myself, and it's just when you when you understand the, the loneliness of an entrepreneur's journey and how much help they need and how hard they work to get companies off the ground and create jobs. And a product and a service or whatever they're doing, you know, it's it it just gets in your bloodstream. So I said, well, what's my superpower in the world? My superpower is recruiting and my superpower is building companies. And um, But I don't want to do it the way I used to do it. I want to do it f- sort of in a hybrid sense where, you know, if we do – we, if we innovate on the business model of search, then we can hollow out our cost structure, not waste money on silly things that you just don't need. You don't need huge offices. You don't need – HR, You don't need a big finance organ. You don't need a lot of stuff. So you can work on fewer projects and go a lot deeper with companies. If you're going to do that, then you're really studying your clients. And what, if you're going to study your clients, why don't you put your capital behind them? So we've raised – we actually have a fund with our own capital, and we've deployed it in a bunch of different Oh, so different do you clients. invest in oh, heavily, companies yeah. as Very well? Oh, heavily, yeah. Like- have you disclosed the size of the fund, or no okay. um, the fund is all our own capital for now. It is well into the seven figures um, and you know some of the investments I did before the fund was actually established were docuSign, Mulesoft, thing called Forescout, docker Ripple, Snowflake is a big one. So there are probably there are three that have exited meaningfully, and three or four that we think are are going to be pretty big. And
0: from a client
1: perspective, is it also a premium price for a premium product? Yeah, I mean we are, we have exactly the same market pricing as our competitors. But what we try to do is we say, hey, you know, we're going to earn. A lot of our competitors will say, hey, we want uh, we want equity for free and the cash. And the entrepreneurs chafe at that, but they don't have a lot of options, unfortunately. So they capitulate and they grouse about it behind closed doors. And what we decided is, hey, we're going to try to earn our r- way onto the cap table, earn the right to invest in you during the search. If you love the way the search went down and you feel inclined to open up some space in your Series C, let's get in there. Or if there's a secondary, maybe put us at the top of the list. And that's working actually quite well. They like the approach. They like the, vi- they like the, um, the spirit of that, put us putting skin in the game. And then during the course of the search, you get to study the company. It's like it's, it's due diligence you couldn't pay for. And could you share a bit of the current status of the company? My company, yeah, yeah, we're growing absurdly fast, but only absurdly fast in so far as we can manage the growth. We're like we're not taking too many projects on. We take a fraction of the workloads of our of our uh, competitors, who, by the way, are amazing in their own rights, um, and in their own ways. But um, but about we're, how many people? We're eight. Pe- we're almost nine people. We're going to add two more in the next couple of months. We have four partners we're going to five in January. And the company went from zero to about a $7 million run rate in the first six months. Um, and you know that's not a big deal. I don't care about revenue anymore. I care about high-quality clients. So we've got, I think, the who's who of the SaaS industry right now. We've got the best portfolio I've ever had uh, in terms of the profile of our clients and the quality of the clients is better than I ever had in 15 years running the last company. That sounds pretty exciting. How did you find your core partners to work with on this? Two of them were my best employees or two of my best employees from my last firm. The, the old company is loaded with talent. They are they're really are. They've got it. And they're very solid, great, great firm. And I'm very proud of that firm. Um, my name's still on the door or it's still the P. Very, very proud of that company. So I don't want to take anything away from them whatsoever. The two people that I just felt I really wanted to build something with I didn't want to build another big company and go try to raid my own company. I just thought that, I thought that was unethical. So it was just a couple of people that I knew wanted to build something with me. Did they come them. to find you, say, hey, are you thinking about doing something again? we well, were just good it? friends. we just good friends. We spent a lot of time while I was doing venture and we were just all kind of thinking about life and I was thinking about life. And then <clears throat> when January came around and I decided, hey, this market development thing is going to fly, I want to add value, We uh, we all got together. And then I grabbed another one who – Found out about us, and we, we get a lot of inbounds from partners from other search firms who are really interested in our model. And then this one person, Alex Zakopowski is his name, is just a really captivating, interesting person, and I grabbed him too. So we're four, four partners strong, and we have a really great um, staff under us. For
0: people that are early in their careers and they're interested in starting companies, what, what advice do you have for people?
1: <sighs> Specialized. You know, I know this sounds cliche. A lot of people have been saying specialize, but I just don't think you can be the jack of all trades and the ace of nothing. I think you almost have to think of your career as starting out as a vocation. Become amazing at something to the Doug Leone you know, anecdote or story. And I think the um, the thing is just the, if people see that you're willing to do the work and you discipline yourself like you would as being a competitive runner or cyclist or whatever, you apply that to becoming epic at something, whether it's like product or engineering or finance or whatever meaning you know, building business models or whatever you know become incredibly good at something and go very deep in your in your uh, in your expertise and defend that expertise that's like your turf if you become good at that then people go well i'm gonna be a pigeonhole that's just not right well it's interesting because jump to another one people do worry about that pigeonholing piece no, they do and i think
0: it's really overblown because you you Fundamentally, you can't specialize in everything. You can't become the best at everything. But if you go really deep in an area, you learn how to identify people that Mm. are really good at what they do in other areas. Exactly. Because you learn about the subtleties that set somebody apart when they're the best in finance or they're the best in marketing. Right. People that are really good or world-class in an area truly and understand it, they can recognize the same in other areas. That's
1: exactly right. And they're curious enough to go do the work to discover what great looks like, soak in that knowledge, and then learn how to implement.
0: Yeah, right? and, and not have people BSing them. Exactly. Because I mean, what they is, can sniff BS from people,
1: even if it's in an area
0: they don't know anything about. exactly Because they're right. best at what they do. Exactly
1: did. right. And you know what? I always tell people, like the other thing is tell your kids, don't just go out and join you know Silly Company, Inc., that you had no reason why you went to the company. Study the landscape of companies that are out there hiring. Try to figure out a thesis. Join something that's going to be great or already is great. Learn what great looks like early in your career. If you learn what great looks like, you kind of learn the operational procedures of, of a LinkedIn kind of company or a Splunk or one of these interesting you know, things that are at scale, running really interesting companies or growing really solidly. You learn companies like that. How do they operate? How do they make trade offs? How do they resource? What, what, do they, what do they do every day? I mean, what do the different departments do and how do they work together? And so, that, that, so it
0: kind of means go join one of those companies. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that p- young people don't have any direction where people are saying, hey, actually have a thesis when you graduate. Hey, don't just get a job. Don't just take a job. When you start your senior year, you should be studying the industry you want to participate in, and likely as it's going to be tech because financial services is dying, as we know. It make, you know it's, it's, it's dying. Let's put it that way. And, and I think a lot of people, even venture people that I know, very successful ones, would say to young people – you know, go into industry, and then if you find your way into venture, that's fine. But right now, don't just think you're going to go jump into some VC firm and you're going to go make billions of dollars. It's ridiculous. Most of the best VCs, like Doug Leone, carried a bag, built something. They're at guys like Mike Volpe, running corporate at Cisco, running a startup. These people are operators. You know, and a lot of these people um, have actually lived a day in the life of the entrepreneurs that they're serving, and I think that's a me- major skill. So, yeah, the, the younger people always tell them, like, Go find a really great company, a great rocket ship. Learn a ton. Study it. Don't jump around every five seconds. You get a $5,000 raise from this company, and that company.
0: What does that mean in practice? Not every five seconds? Does it mean
1: be somewhere for at least two or three years? Yeah, or I think so. Five years, yeah. two or three I years. I think two or three years and you're younger. I and, mean, you know, if you do five or 10, it's kind of an opportunity cost, right? You shouldn't spend 10 years at Facebook. You shouldn't spend 10 years anywhere. It's kind of a five years, two, three, and then it gets two, to three, five.
0: Maybe five. Yeah. Okay. But
1: don't f- be around for the gold watch. No, exactly. Okay. You, just, you just get stale. Andy, thank you so
0: much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rob. And for people that want to keep up with what you're doing and the work that you're doing, where should they go? Their website, ArtisanalTalent.com. I'm Rob Connebier, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.